Matthew chapter 5, verses 45 and 48. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This sermon our pastor has called, called to perfection. And this promised commandment, again, we should highlight the word here, commandment, to be perfect as our Heavenly Father. It's not an alternative. It's not an offer. It's not uh, Christ laughing at us saying, try to be perfect. Try, I dare you. No, He commands us. This is a promise commandment that is written in the book of Matthew, and it is presented to us in the series of sermons of Pastor Arkady, and it is the inheritance of the saints of all time, and it is addressed by Christ to His disciples. And therefore, those who do not accept the authority of the person sent by God have no relation whatsoever to the inheritance of this commandment and likely will never have one. And we have stopped to study the definition of the righteousness of God in the heart of a person comprised in the clothing of his essence into the holy or the selective love of God. Colossians chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you also were called in one body, and be thankful. According to this passage, the rule of the peace of God or the righteousness of God in our hearts is possible only under one condition. If the selective love of God will dwell in our hearts and we will be clothed into the selective love of God. And the character of the selective love of God is presented by the Holy Spirit in Scripture in the light of seven unearthly virtues. And these are written in Second Peter chapter 2, verses 1 Chapter 2, uh, verses 2 through 8. This is virtue, knowledge, self-control, patience, godliness, brotherly love, and love. We know that each of these seven virtues of the fruit of virtue contains the characteristics of all the other virtues because they flow from one another, fulfill one another, strengthen one another, and are found in one another. These virtues are the moral perfections and standards that are inherited to the essence of God that are given to us through Christ, which we must become enriched with. We can enter into the inheritance of these virtues only by accepting the Holy Spirit as the Lord and ruler of our life, which will be expressed in the obedience of our faith to the faith of God. And by inheriting these great and precious promises, which we have read about, we are made partakers of God's essence. So we begin to receive characteristics of God the Father. We are not just holy according to our origin. We are born through the resurrection of Christ, but we begin to practice the righteousness of God, fulfill it, and begin to demonstrate the characteristics that are inherent to our Heavenly Father. And He waits for this. We see how Abraham had rejoiced when Isaac was taken from his mother's breast. Why rejoice? Is it pleasing to see a, a child, an infant? What a beautiful image. Yes, this is a beautiful image until a certain time. But when Isaac was taken from her, from his mother's breast, then there was a f feast 
Because why? Because his characteristics are now illuminated in us when we're not just Christians because we were born of God, but when we also demonstrate his works and his righteousness when we grow. And these seven characteristics, if we quickly defined for ourselves, then first, in virtue, we have defined the source out of which good flows from which is God. Devil is the source of all evil we've established. And when we have established the correct source, then we meet with the second one, the second level. This is knowledge. Now we say, Lord, show me through your word, through your preached word in your church, what is good and what is evil. When God had demonstrated, God gives me this wisdom, and then he says, now apply self-control. This is his third step, self-control. So I choose what God views as good, and I reject all of that which God calls evil. Then the fourth step, we need patience. What is patience? That which I call good, I don't see this in my life, and therefore I now need to wait with patience what I have seen in the Word of God. In godliness, the fifth step, it allows me to continue to be sanctified and to uh, stay away from all that God calls evil and to sanctify our dedication. We are for sanctified so that we can dedicate ourselves to God and having dedicated ourselves to God, what do we do? Now through sanctification, we must continue to keep, keep our dedication. And this leads us into the atmosphere of brotherly love. The sixth quality and seventh, it is specifically in the atmosphere of brotherly love that we receive coronation, the coronation of love. And we need to reach this coronation, this level of coronation. Therefore, the selective love of God and the seven dignities and characteristics has nothing in common with human tolerant love that is filled with ignorance, selfishness, and inconsistency. And apart from the tolerant and selfish love of man, the unconditional selective love of God differs in that it carries the all-consuming zeal of God his omnipotence, and his absolute wisdom that is impossible to use for selfish and ignorant reasons. With this, it is the power of the selective love of God contained in the format of seven virtues that is called to destroy the power of death in our bodies and reign the resurrection of Christ in our bodies and clothe our bodies in the resurrection of Christ in the face of our new man. And therefore, before us was, was presented for four questions. First, what does Scripture say about the origin and essence of the fruit of virtue, which we are called to demonstrate in our faith? Second, what purpose is the love of God, agape, that flows from brotherly love, called to fulfill in our faith? Third, what conditions must we fulfill to receive the power to demonstrate in our faith brotherly love? And fourth, by what sign should we test ourselves that we are demonstrating brotherly love in our faith? And today we will move on to the second question. Again, I will read what it sounds like. The second question, what purpose does the love of God agape that flows into the soil of our heart, what is it called to fill in the atmosphere of brotherly love? What is it meant for? This love, this brotherly love in which we dwell. What is its purpose? And today we're going to, st to look at seven purposes of brotherly love. Brotherly love of the love of God agape that dwells among us and in us. And the first one, we'll start from there. The first one, the calling of God's love proceeding from an atmosphere of brotherly love and poured it into our hearts as words of grace authorizes that everyone who believes in Jesus in this world does not die, but has eternal life. 
John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, although it is said, For God so loved the world, even if, but if we read it correctly, if we continue to read the place of Scripture, here's what we see. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Not just He loved the world, but He loved every believer in this world. So that the supporters of the tolerant love that they ascribed to God did not have doubts about their seduction and that they could repent Pastor provides two more passages of Scripture about the presence of God's selective love, although, as he says, there are many more places of Scripture to prove this. First one, Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 through 21. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. That which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Who will he save? He will not save the world. He will save his people. His people. His own. It turns out that Jesus has his own people. He will save his people from their sins. The second place of scripture, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 27. Christ also loved who? The world? No, the church. And gave himself for who? For the world? No, for her. For who? The church. Who is the church? The church are those who belong to Christ who and whoever believes in this world. And therefore Christ loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. What's interesting is that both in Hebrew and in the original Greek language, to be a believer in God is to be under the grace of God. And for this, it is necessary to be dedicated and obedient to God, showing faithfulness to His law contained in the grace of God, which in practice means to be reliable, firm, and unshakable in the faith of God, to believe and trust in God. God loves His creation. However, those who do not obey the law of grace of God that is contained in the faith of God and acting in Christ Jesus are considered by Scripture not as a creation of God, but as a creation of the devil. Again, really importantly, God loves His creation. He loves His creation. He is, a, he is an artist. He created this. He loves, he loves people. But... If this creation does not obey the law of grace that is contained in the faith of God, God does not no longer views him as his creation, but the creation of devil. And this can be clearly seen from the conflict that arose between Christ and the Jews and Pharisees right in the temple when they took stones to be him, but he hid from them in a supernatural way because his time had not yet come. John chapter 8, verses 38 through 44, here it talks about the creation of God, and this was the most religious elite. Take a look at how he spoke with them. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. 
Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. When upon the descent of the Holy Spirit, the apostles endowed with the power of God began to preach in the temple about the resurrection of Jesus and to heal the sick in his name, they were immediately arrested by someone who firmly and threateningly forbade them to preach about the resurrection in Jesus. Jesus. And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, turning to them, said the following words. Acts chapter 4, verses 8 through 12. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is the first sign that concludes. What have we highlighted for ourselves here? Turns out that we should not just define those whom God has loved, but God defines the source through which he saves. He said, there is no salvation in anyone um, but through Christ. There is no other uh, name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It is Jesus Christ here. There is this one preacher before he was asked on television, is it true that only through Jesus Christ we receive salvation? He says, well, wait, wait, wait. Well, before you speak, there are millions of people watching us, uh, orderly people, people who live according to their conscience, Muslims, Buddhists, Christians, Jews, millions of people watching us, billions of people. Please give me an exact answer. Are only Christians going to be saved? He said, no, well, you know, and he began to drag his words and she said, well, it's written here in the word of God that there is no other name under heaven. And she put him in a corner. And then there was such a laughing from the sides, a pastor of a mega church. Where do they gather? Texas, somewhere over there. He ashamed him. He was ashamed. He began to uh, groan and moan because when she said, before you answer this question, I want, I want to tell you that there are millions of orderly people, good people watching us. People like you have in your church, the same kind of people. What will you say? And he began to moan and groan. And he didn't provide an answer. And look here, we must specifically define here. Uh, here, Pastor had interestingly showed two parallels, that first, God loved not just the whole world, but every believer in this world. This is a specific, de def def definite line. And the second one, that there is no other name under heaven, only the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we receive salvation. Whoever believes in Jesus Christ specific definition here there is no tolerance here there is no tolerant groaning or moaning or answers the answer is here second we're going to continue to talk about the purpose of brotherly love why do we need god's love agape brotherly love in the church second the calling of god's love poured out into our hearts as words of grace is directed so that we could be sanctified and become organized partakers of the church 
Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 to 27, Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Why? That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. First, from this statement it follows that without the love of God acting in brotherly love or within the boundaries of the law of grace, there can be no sanctification by the word. Without the atmosphere of brotherly love, there is no sanctification just as a body without a spirit is dead so a word that comes out without the presence of the spirit of love does not revive the dead to life but rather kills the living 2 Corinthians 3 6 who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant not of the letter but of the spirit for the letter kills but the spirit gives life and secondly God does not sanctify a single person outside of the organized partaking of this person to the body of his son whom he called his church and so God saves in Jesus Christ he saves us through Jesus Christ and he places us in Christ Jesus in his body why so that there we can be sanctified where in the body in what body in the body in which there is the atmosphere of brotherly love a normal Christian atmosphere of brotherly love Third, the calling of God's love poured into our hearts as words of grace is directed to us growing in salvation that was achieved for us on the cross of Golgotha. Take a look. We receive salvation. We find the narrow gates in the face of this church of Christ. And now we grow. We grow in salvation that was achieved for us on the cross of Golgotha. And where does this happen in the where does this happen in the body of Christ? Peter 2 2. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Someone will ask, Well, these uh, is preached to the infants. No, this relates to me too. I through this demonstrate to God my respect toward the word of God, toward the word of God. Sometimes people uh, say, I knew I was told a person thinks he knows everything. I said, okay. I say, after church, uh, today was such a sermon. He says, yes, 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 it was a wonderful sermon. And I said, can you tell me who in our essence is the king? The king who reigns in righteousness and the princes who rule or to help her who help him rule in the law and to rule according to the law. He says, um... Can I look at my notes? I said, no, you can't. It follows from this instruction that only through love for the verbal milk of the grace of God and for those through whom we receive this verbal milk can we grow in the salvation that Jesus Christ has acquired for us. In Hebrew, salvation contains the following definitions. So to grow in salvation, to grow in salvation when? When we have love toward the pure milk of the word, through the word of God and don't think that we know everything and we don't need to come on Tuesdays. So one person told me, what do, why do I need to go to church on Tuesdays? days well to study the word of god to pray to pray according to the word of god this is our prayer service what is a prayer service a prayer service is to read what we have in the word of god to thank god for it and to pray together this is the a prayer service 
And that, that's why we grow here in salvation. And so what does it mean to grow in salvation? What is salvation? Salvation, there's a few definitions that pastor provides us. Salvation is first, help sent in the words of grace for deliverance from sin and death in the face of our people, the house of our Father, and the corrupt lusts of our soul. So we are saved from these three components. Second, salvation. Salvation is help sent in the words of grace for preser preservation and salvation and for safety from the organized forces of darkness that stand behind our old man. Okay, so God saves me from my nation, my household, my corrupt desires. And then he also saves me from the old man behind which stand the organized forces of darkness. And this is scripture calls salvation. Furthermore, salvation is the help sent in the words of grace for gaining well-being, healing, prosperity, and happiness. So now, after I receive these components, uh, well-being, healing, prosperity, happiness, scripture also calls us salvation. Salvation is the help also sent in the words of grace for the growth and building up of oneself in the love of God. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 through 16 says that he gave himself some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, and from whom the whole body joined in it together by what every joint supplies, according to the effect of working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. To grow in salvation means, by faith, to master our inheritance in Christ Jesus, expressed in our calling, which consists in the adoption of our body through the redemption of Christ, giving God the foundation to erect in our body the power of life in the dignity of the kingdom of heaven. So take a look here. So salvation is the affirmation of resurrection in our bodies and the growing, equipping of ourselves in the love of God. Furthermore, salvation of God, what are we saved from? Or what is salvation expressed in? It is a magnificent and unique fate of every person who comes to God. It is, salvation is the fate. Proverbs 29, 26, Many seek the ruler's favor, but justice for man comes from the Lord, or the fate of man comes from the Lord. It is very beneficial for the devil to impose on man the idea that illness, poverty, and premature death are man's fate from the Lord. But this is an undisguised lie. This is uh, a blatant lie. Why? So Jacob says, or James says in 117, Every good gift and every gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. That's why illnesses, poverty, premature death is not fate. It is not a fate that comes from God. God can lead us through certain situations and circumstances in our life, but we must understand that this is not our fate. We have a wonderful fate in God. If He allows us to go through certain situations, we say, well, we go through this, we go through this, no one, uh, we go through this. Yes, this is true. This means that something's not right with me, someone asks. May, do I need to live in a comfortable pink world, being healthy, healed, prosperous? Is this a fate from God? Yes, but, but why don't we have this, people ask. We, we have it. We have it in our spirit. It is, we must look at the essence here, that what is salvation? We must inside understand that our fate from God 
includes the fullness of salvation, that includes healing and prosperity and all the other components. God sees us this way. But in order to come to this, in order to come to this resurrection in our life, we need to go through certain valleys and to test certain things in our life. And when devil says that this is your fate, this is not my fate, I have a wonderful fate which I look upon and which I rejoice in God. If I go through a certain valley, then I continue to affirm my fate, my good fate in God. I thank him for that fate that is placed on my account in Christ Jesus. Although around there may be some kind of storms, and winds, I don't see anything. Devil says, here is your fate. No, no, my fate is written in my heart. I don't need to look at it. It is written in my heart. I am going across this, uh, going towards this compass, according to this compass, that faith in our heart, that which we hold on to and know what our fate is. This was salvation. Fourth, we are talking about the purpose of God's love expressed in brotherly love. Why do we need it? Fourth, the calling of God's love proceeding from an atmosphere of brotherly love and poured into our hearts as words of grace is comprised of casting out of our heart all forms of negative fear. Take a look. First John chapter 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love. A perfect love casts out fear. So what is the definition of brotherly love, love of God, agape? Love casts out human fear because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We have noted on numerous occasions that love as well as fear is knowledge in the format of information that comes from either correct relations with God or incorrect ones that define the atmosphere of rest as well as the atmosphere of torment. And therefore, fear, as a type of a certain kind of information, gives rise to a certain type of faith. Since the f So, take a look. F fear gives rise to faith. Why? Because behind fear there is information. Information gives uh, gives forth fear. A person hears this information and it begins to go f to fear. Now, this fear gives rise to a certain type of faith. A certain type of faith, since the faith of the heart comes either from the information of hearing the word of God or from information listening to the word from another source. And so I listen to information, then the fear of God, either the fear of God or the fear of man comes, then I, it gives rise to faith, either faith of God or a demonic faith. The fear of the Lord is determined by the source of knowledge and wisdom. What is the fear of the Lord? Again, let us take a look. The fear of the Lord the correct fear that we are called to have is determined by the source of knowledge and wisdom emanating from the Word of God, producing trembling reverence in a person to listening to the preached Word and unimaginable delight and security in God. This is the fear of the Lord. And the fear of man, human fear, that produces torment is not just an emotion, it is essentially what we believe in. And this kind of fear is defined as the lack of knowledge of the will of God, which in our hearts is the atmosphere of brotherly love in which the love of God is poured out into our hearts, trampling death in our bodies and affirming life. And therefore, emotion or feelings are the result of either certain information or, on the contrary, the absence of any information that generates all kinds of phobias of fear. Negative fear is a state where we cannot get help from our mind. 
Because information about the essence of God, which is absent in our mind, is captivated by our feelings and encourages our mind to follow our feelings. So, if I don't have information in my mind, then the feelings take initiative upon themselves. And when they have some kind of information, then we are clothed into the negative human fear. Why? Because we don't have divine information. We don't have faith. And when we don't have the faith of God in His information, then there's another information that comes. This information holds us captive. And what does it do? It holds captives our feelings in our mind because our mind is empty. There's no Word of God there, therefore there's no information. And that's why we become dependent on our feelings and emotions and we become dependent on negative human fear. The fear of the Lord, which represents in our heart information about the wisdom of God, is a state where feelings are completely dependent on the mind, renewed by our spirit, which our feelings follow without hesitation. So, our feelings will never follow our renewed mind, or uh, will never follow a mind if until this component, our prince, who rules, will not be renewed by our king, our spirit, who reigns according to the law. And when our king and prince are in our essence, then our emotions will feel. But if our prince does not submit, he is not even there, first of all, when we don't have a prince, then everything uh, follows our emotions. And when there is a king and a prince, my emotions follow me. When I don't have a prince, this means that my thinking is not renewed and the emotions are uh, completely then given free reign to do anything. The wicked runs when no one is chasing him. Why? Why the wicked? Why not someone cowardly? Scripture says specifically, wicked. Wicked fears everything. He runs away from everything and no one runs after him. Why? Because... A wicked person cannot renew his thinking. Why? Because it is necessary to, for him to place truth in his heart. Why can't? Because then he needs to acknowledge another person whom God had established over him. Oh, this is where it all begins from. Freedom from human fear. Human fear arises from the information of the words of grace poured out in the love of God in the atmosphere of brotherly love in which we gain knowledge of our fate in God and specifically who God is for us what God has done for us, and who we are to God. This frees us from all kinds of negative fear and the torment that is involved in it. John 8, 32, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If we make ourselves the bearers of the information emanating from the fear of the Lord, then its power will oust and expel information from our hearts about negative and painful fear, which deprives us of the opportunity to inherit the promises of eternal life. Very important for us to know that. We need to be a carrier of information, specifically a carrier of information, upon which falls the fear of the Lord, and the fear of man is uh, far off. If there is no information in our thinking and our heart, if we don't have a king and a prince, then our feelings do whatever they want, and they have free reign, and a man is, is runs with no one chasing him, and this is not normal. We must have the fear of the Lord in this trembling before the word of God, or there will be the fear of man. We will f be afraid of everything. Fifth, the calling of God's love proceeding from an atmosphere of brotherly love imported into our hearts as words of grace is comprised of us being filled with the whole fullness of God. So first, 
Why do we need the purpose of God's love, agape brotherly love? In order to be saved. Second, in order to place us in the body of Christ so that they can, through the love, through the preached word of God, to grow in salvation. And in doing so, having been clothed in the fear of God, which is which is expressed in trembling, so that why? Five, so that we can be filled with the fullness of God. The purpose of love is so that we can be filled with the whole fullness of God. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, and to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What is the fullness of God? Scripture says, so that you can be filled with all the fullness of God. The fullness of God is a combination of God's perfect qualities that fills the contents of the vessel of our heart and makes us partakers of His divine nature. There are seven components that we are looking at. This is the fullness of God. Furthermore, the fullness of God is also the filling of the vessel of our heart with the peace of God, which makes us sons of peace. The fullness of God is also the ability to be led by the Holy Spirit upon the fulfillment of our calling. What is our calling? Our calling is the holiness of justice, which is designed to destroy the power of death in our body so that in its place the power of life could be built. And this is possible when? When we have the fullness of God. Furthermore, the fullness of God is a spread and expansion of our inherited portion contained in our title and our election. The fullness of God in our heart is the fulfillment of the Word of God in which our hearts believed and our lips proclaimed, calling the non-existent as existent. This is approximate example of what is the fullness of God. This also includes that when we proclaim the inexistent as existent, pay attention here, this is a very interesting component. Of course, it's great to say fullness when I have all the divine characteristics, but when I don't have this, when I have just stepped on this path, Scripture says, I must have this fullness. How? I call the inexistent in the physical realm as existent in Christ Jesus, in the Spirit. How can one become righteous? It's not just you receive justification as a gift of grace, then you become righteous. No, we receive justification as a gift only for one thing, so that upon our counts in advance, could be placed. God the Father could list the word righteousness on our accounts. This occurs when we, by faith, call that which we don't have, and we thank God that we have it in Christ. And He says, okay, according to your faith, I give you, I view you as perfect, but know, but know that this is an empty vessel. And it should be that up to the end of your life, this vessel could be filled. I give you, this is not justification. Justification gives us the right to say, I thank you, Lord, that in Jesus Christ I have righteousness. An empty vessel. And now, how much life I have left? Some have more, some have less. Now, we come to the end of our life. And let it not be that we have an empty one. 
However, in this passage, to be filled with the fullness of God is impossible under uh, in the, the fulfillment of three conditions. This is first to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. Second, this is that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith so that we can be rooted and grounded in love. And third, so we can be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. And when we have these three components, then we will gain the whole fullness of God. It is a sequence in which the combination of these truths that determine the perfection of God's love agape, emanating from the atmosphere of brotherly love, is called to give us the ability to be filled with all the fullness of God. And so, the first phrase, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. This is the first component, how we can gain the fullness of God in Christ Jesus. Without cooperation with the sovereign phrase, let it be, because it says here, let it be, let God give to you that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory, this that he may grant you or let it be to you. Without it, none of the three truths can ever become the property of our heart, called to fill us with all the fullness of God, to make us perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. So this word, let it be to you, let it be. Apostle Paul, who said that? Apostle? Apostle Paul said, okay, Apostle, but maybe help our Apostle. No, this is what the Apostle said. Let it be. So it turns out that he has the creative words of God. Yes, he has creative words because it represents the fatherhood of God. Of course he has these words. And if the Helper does what saints do on Tuesdays and also uh, at cell groups and all also in different regions of the world, if they do what we do, if they, do, if they abide in the teachings, then we will be filled with all the fullness. Why? Because everything begins from the words, let it be. Apostle Paul said, let God give you according. He says, I delegate to you this opportunity, the ability to have the fullness. Let God grant you or let God give you. Again, Apostle Paul, let it be. And Apostle Paul spoke these words. If this was been spoken by someone else, God would not have given anything. Why? This must be spoken by a person who presents the power of the fatherhood of God. Let it be to you according to God. To be the ability to be strengthened by the Holy Spirit in the inner man through the Holy Spirit in the inner man comes from the riches of God contained in His glory. We will need to define the glory of God that allows us to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. To be strengthened by the Holy Spirit in our inner man is a transformation from the glory of the Lord into a new way of life. To be transformed into a new way of life is to change into a state opposite to the previous state or to pass from one quality to another. And so the first condition, the first condition that Scripture offers in order to be transformed from the old way of life into a new way of life is to make a voluntary decision to look at the glory of the Lord. So we again are studying this first component. How do we come to a, full, to a fullness? Apostle Paul said, let it be to you according to your word to be strengthened in my, according to your, in, in your inner, inner man. So the Holy Spirit must be strengthened in our inner man, in our spirit. This won't happen if we don't understand what glory is, what the glory of God is, because the 
Holy Spirit. He is the Holy Spirit of glory. And the first definition of glory, that we must look upon this glory of God. We need to look upon this glory of God. I want the Lord to be the Lord and ruler. Look at the, upon the glory. How do you do that? How? How do I look upon the glory of God? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. To behold the glory of the Lord, it will be necessary to give it the definition that Scripture gives it. Otherwise, we will choose the lust of our former way of life as a subject of our eyes, believing that this is the glory of the Lord. In Hebrew, the glory of the Lord is conveyed in two words. This is kavod and shekinah, and in Greek, doxa, which means honor, strength, dignity, and power. However, the word shekinah in Hebrew, among other things, means weight or heaviness associated with the responsibility to represent the existing honor, glory, dignity, and power of a new life. In Scripture, we find evidence of the source from which the glory of the Lord proceeds from where the glory of God proceeds, where I can be transformed into the image of Christ. This is, first, the seven components. First one is, it comes from the direct presence of God. When God is present, glory is also present. When emotions are present, there is not always God present. When God is present, then we have trembling. But when in their emotions, when there are screams, and then when people say there's worship going occurring right now, then this is all a big question mark. And the glory of God comes from the direct presence of God, and we can open in Scripture when we are told the hooligan charismatics that this is the glory of God. Well, here is the word of God. Here we have many times uh, events in which the glory of God was was revealed. Tell me where you find in Scripture what you practice in your church. Please, you can call me back when you have an answer. No, they, there is no answer that they can provide. There is what they do in their church services. This is not in Scripture. We receive glory from the direct presence of God. If we don't have glory, because we can't be transformed into the image of Christ and the Word of God coming from His mouth, from it comes glory. Glory comes from the influence of the Holy Spirit. It comes from the manifestation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It comes from the power of God's creation and from all His works. It comes from the offering of the fruit of our spirit. It comes from enduring reproach for the truth. 1 Peter 4.14 If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory, take a look, for the spirit of glory, spirit of glory, we must have the spirit in order to be transformed in glory, therefore the spirit of glory must be present, and for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you when? When we are approached for the name of Christ. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. In order to see the glory of a new way of life that gives us the ability to be strengthened with might by the Holy Spirit in the inner man, we should look at it with an unveiled face through a certain mirror. So we have to look at the glory of God with an unveiled face through a certain mirror. For example, the Word of God says that the heavens preach the glory of God and that the firmament speaks of the work of His hands, and also that the whole earth is full of the glory of the Lord. Everything speaks of the glory of God. The whole creation speaks of the glory of God. However, billions of people, both believers and unbelievers, looking both at heaven and at all the other creation of God, as well as seeing the manifestation of supernatural powers manifested in the miracles and signs of the Holy Spirit, are not able to see in this the glory of God called to transform man in the image of God. 
So, what then is meant by an unveiled face, and what is the mirror through which one can see the glory of the Lord in order to be transformed into a new way of life? An unveiled face is our good heart that partakes to His divine essence thanks to seven properties of the Spirit. So, virtue, knowledge, self-control, patience, godliness, brotherly love, and love. These are the contents of a good heart. When a person has a good heart, then he has an unveiled face. Of course, he must have this. Well, how do you come to a mirror and then on my head there is a veil on there? You stand before a mirror, what do you see? I don't see anything, my, my face is veiled. Can you take the veil off of my face? You can. But for this, it is necessary to have a pure heart. It is necessary to cleanse it from your conscience. All this is a process. This is a process. Someone needs to lift this veil from me so that I can look at the mirror of the Word of God, can see something. But when I come in my infancy, I have a veil that is upon me, a a blemished conscience, and I must take it away so that I can be transformed into that which is written in the Word of God. When a person like God, so now the mirror, let's go back to looking at the mirror. The mirror, uh, so the mirror with which we, with an unveiled face, can see the glory of God in us and be transformed into this glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord is the written word of God that comes from the lips of God. When a person in the likeness of God will behold the glory of God in the mirror of the word of God and works of God created by this word, then in this mirror, he will see his reflection. Exodus chapter 34, verse 29 through 35. Now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain. Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. So, what did he do this whole time? He looked at the word of God, and God spoke with him. He didn't see God. He was found among the thunder, the earthquakes, the fire, and he heard the voice of God. He stood and he looked at the Word of God. And he looked at the Word of God in such a way that his face began to shine because God spoke to him through the Word. So Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Then Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him. And Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the children of Israel came near, and he gave them the commandments of the Lord. Um, and he would, and Moses had finished speaking with them. He put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out, and he would come out and speak to the children of Israel whatever he had been commanded. We need to know that when we come into the presence of God, we must have an unveiled face. When we come into the church, this is that place when our veil must be off. It must always be off. But when we are, we because we are found in the New Testament, we are continually present with God. But here he showed that when he came into the tabernacle of God and the, to the church of God, then he. He opened his face. Why? Because God commands him to be transformed into his image. You can't close yourself. You can't hide yourself in something. You need to open your face in order to be transformed into it, to his glory. Thus, the mirror which Moses looked upon with an unveiled face and from which his face began to shine with the glory of the Lord was the word that came from the lips of God. If a sinner had been given the opportunity to look into this mirror and he would have seen the glory of God in him, then this glory would not have transformed him but killed him. 
And then such moments quite often occurred in the past and occur in the present, since many of those who have come to God are not able to see the glory of God and aren't able to see how and whom it kills and whom it transformed to the image of God. Let us recall that when Christ, through the Holy Spirit, abides in us, we are responsible to represent and to protect His glory. But when we give the Holy Spirit the opportunity to place us in Christ, then He has the opportunity to defend our interests through His glory. And so the glory of the Lord that our unveiled face represents is the Word of God abiding in our hearts. So our hearts, our hearts. Okay, the glory of the Lord, the glory of the Lord is an unveiled face. An unveiled face is the glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord is the Word of God that is written in my heart. I have a king, I have a prince, a renewed thinking, and now these two components allow me to look at myself in the mirror. And the mirror in which we see the reflection of this glory is the truth of the words of God which we look upon. Therefore, if we do not have the truth of the Word of God in our heart and in our thinking, then when I come into church, this and this mirror preaches to me, I cannot be transformed into that same image. But when we look in this mirror, it reflects a true essence expressed in the spirit of our mind. Okay, take a look here. So here, this reflection, this reflection must be in the spirit of our mind, which is called the mind of Christ in our spirit. So this is the Word of God. It must, like a mirror, be reflected here in our heart. Okay, that means that I don't look at at the word, so that means I look at my mind. And this mirror allows me to see this. I hold this mirror up, I look at the mirror myself and it reflects what the glory of God is in the word of God. Okay, I see it. I see it, now it goes into my mind and out my lips. When we look in this mirror, it reflects a true essence expressed in the spirit of our mind, which is called the mind of Christ in our spirit. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ? The mirror? Mirror here. I look there. It goes down here. And it goes here toward the word. Then I receive information from here. It goes into my spirit. Then the spirit goes into my mind. And then out of my lips. Summing up the definition of the essence of the glory of the Lord in our inner man, it follows that our inner man, looking upon the glory of the Lord and the dignity of the anointing truths of the reigning teaching of Christ, becomes in our spirit firm or unshakable in trusting in God. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. A beautiful component. So we must look upon the glory of God. This was the first of the three components that are necessary for us to have the whole fullness of God. So we must be transformed into the image of God. And for this, it is necessary to look at the mirror. And this mirror, God places somewhere behind us. Now he says, look, how do I look? He said, look, use your mirror. What kind of mirror should we use? So here, it is It is here in our mind and in our spirit. Mind looks at our spirit, and now I from there see, and I begin to understand the Word of God. What an interesting point. And when all of these substances, the Word of God from here into my heart, into my mind, and out my lips, then we become like like the image of God and we begin to demonstrate His righteousness. It's a very important component. The Holy Spirit will then be the Lord and ruler of our life. 
The second condition is in the phrase that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith so that we can be rooted and grounded in love. It is directly related to the proclamation of the faith of our hearts. So first we'd be transformed into the glory of God. We, through the mirrors in my spirit and my thinking, now in my lips, now we begin to proclaim it. Proclaim the faith of our hearts. 2 Corinthians 4, 13-14 and since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. So what does it mean I believed? I had a mirror here, a mirror in my mind, a mirror in my spirit. It's not just a faith is a feeling. People think that faith is just a, a, a wave of emotions. No. Faith is a mirror here, a mirror there, and it is a mirror here. Three mirrors that we have. There they all stand. And therefore I spoke, and also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he was raised up, that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise up with Jesus and will present us with you. Faith that does not find its expre expression in the proclamation of our lips cannot and does not have the right to be called a faith that allows Christ to dwell in our hearts in the face of the Holy Spirit as the Lord and ruler of our lives. When two sovereign authorities in the face of the truth and the Holy Spirit appearing before God of all the earth inhabit and abide in our heart, our heart is rooted and grounded in the love of God emanating from the atmosphere of brotherly love. To summarize the definition of what it means for our heart to be rooted and grounded in the love of Christ, it follows that this rooting and grounding occurs with the proclamation of the faith of God in our hearts. This is the second one. The third condition of what we need to do in order to be filled with the fullness of God. So first we place the word of God in our spirit and our thinking. Second, we begin to proclaim it. And third, it is contained in being able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. To understand the love of Christ which passes knowledge in its width, length, depth and height is possible only through fellowship with one another that is known as brotherly love. These four dimensions represent the heart of a person that knows the love of Christ and abides in the boundaries of brotherly love. And so let us take a look if we have this love of Christ in the four dimensions. The first dimension, the love of Christ, which reveals itself in a person in the width of his heart, suggests that the saints who will be in contact with such a person will not be crowded. Second, the love of Christ, which reveals itself in a person in the length of his heart, suggests that in relations with each other, such a person will be able to show patience. Third, the love of Christ, which reveals itself in a person in the depths of his heart, suggests that in relations with each other, such a person will be able to show deep and unhypocritical participation in the sorrows of his neighbor and forth. The love of Christ, which reveals itself in a person in the height of his heart, suggests that in relations with each other, such a person will be able to stoop down to the weaknesses of his neighbor and to lift him up on the heights in which he is. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14-18 through 18, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has a temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. 
Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So here we have an interesting component where the Lord offers us in this fifth component to have the fullness of God. So the love of God is called to give us the whole fullness of God. How to give us the fullness of God? Uh, God uses two of His faithful witnesses. This is the Word of God and the Holy Spirit that must be illuminated in our spirit and in our thinking and in our proclamations and then in our relations with one another when we demonstrate the length with this person, it won't be crowded. We won't be crowded. Uh, when we have uh, width, we have patience. When we have height, we will be able to stoop down to the to the level of our brother and lift him up on our heights. I won't say, I won't say, come, come on up here. I won't yell down to him. No, I will go down to him, and then with him, I will go up on the mountain on the height. We must have all of these qualities. The sixth component or the sixth calling of God's love coming from the atmosphere brotherly love and again we're studying why do we need God's love agape brotherly love it discovers itself in the sixth purpose in the presence of boldness in the day of judgment yielded by harvest so we must have boldness and this is what the love of God is called for First John 4.17 Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we in this world. Boldness necessary for obtaining mercy and finding the grace of God is the result that occurs from God's love that proceeds from the atmosphere of brotherly love. So boldness can only be there where we have brotherly love. Hebrews 4.16, as written, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Boldness is the right founded on the authority contained in the blood of the cross of Christ that is clothed in the power of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 6.17-20 Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, so the oath was contained by two immutable things. This is the cross, uh, the cross and the blood, which God swore by and which we must not neglect. He used the oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation. One destroys sin and other destroys the manufacture of sin. That in these two things which it is impossible, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, in which enters the presence beyond the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. If we truly want to enter into the presence of the Lord beyond the veil of the sanctuary as warriors of prayer so that we could have boldness in the day of judgment, then the first requirement of our prayers should not be a list of our requests, but our holiness based on the redeeming blood of the cross of Christ, which provides cleansing from our sins strictly in accordance with the requirements contained in the ordinances of Scripture, both regarding the place of confession and the method of confession. 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
What does prayer begin with? It begins with, with boldness. And boldness never begins, as Pastor allows us to see here, when we tell God our own needs. If we have needs, we have certain desires, but we must demonstrate boldness because our needs will not be heard by God. He hears only that which comes with boldness. So here we need to place the foundation for this prayer. And this prayer is to say, Lord, I thank you, I thank you that you have forgiven my sins. First John 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need to confess our sins before God in the presence of a person with the authority to forgive sins and leave sins on us. And such powers are possessed only by the apostles of Christ and the face of people who are anointed the Holy Spirit to represent the fatherhood of God. Acts chapter 20 verses 21 through 23 so many came and had confessed their sins. And John 20, 21 through 23 again says, Jesus said to them, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. What does it mean to breathe on them? Through breath they received the authority of the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them. And through this breath, the Holy Spirit gave them the powers. He breathed on them and said, You will accept the Holy Spirit now. To whom you forgive your sins, uh, if you forgive sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now you can ask any person in that church in which he is founded. That person that stands at the head of this church, uh, has Christ breathed with his breath? You will say, what do you think? We have selected him by majority of votes. There is no breath breathing going on here. That means that he doesn't have the right to forgive us our sins or to retain sins. He can't. In order to do this, it is necessary so that the Holy Spirit can give his breath, so that the Holy Spirit can place and appoint this person. Sins by themselves are not always obvious. They are often subtle and difficult to distinguish. And only a firm decision of a person to deal with his errors gives God a reason to reveal to a person the roots of the sin that is disguised in him. Psalms chapter 19, verse 13 through 14, this is what David did. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. When a person through the truth contained in the blood of the cross of Christ will be blameless and pure before God from great corruption, he will have boldness that gives him the legal right to mercy in receiving the grace of God. This is an important component. And the seventh component in the calling of God's love coming from the atmosphere of brotherly love, it discovers itself in the ability to receive knowledge from God in order to represent the perfection of God. This is an important, interesting component. We must receive knowledge from God in order to represent the perfection of God. If we don't have knowledge from God, not our knowledge, but knowledge of God, that we can't represent the perfection of God and we can't come to the fullness. 1 Corinthians 8, 2-3 And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. 
Let us read it again. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Knowledge from God rests in a wise heart through the acceptance of the wisdom of the Holy Spirit as the Lord and ruler of our life, revealing to us the knowledge of the truth we have received. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. Why? That we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God, so that we have knowledge what we have in God. Communication with the Holy Spirit poured out into our hearts in words of grace in an atmosphere of brotherly love is carried out through being filled with the Holy Spirit in which we as sons of God receive the ability to be led by the Holy Spirit. So we as sons of God receive the opportunity to be led by the Holy Spirit poured out into our hearts in the atmosphere of brotherly love. And as David had done this in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 11-12, through 12, Then Hiram, king of Tyr, sent messengers to David and cedar trees and carpenters and masons. We will see ourselves in David and the Holy Spirit in this place of scripture. And again, cedar trees and carpenters and masons were brought, and they built David a house. Take a look at how many people are enacted here and enabled to, for us to go from justification or that which we have received as an advance to bring it to the fullness of the righteousness of God. Hiram, king of Tyr, sent messengers to David and cedar trees, and there behind them, the messengers of God, come carpenters and masons. This is my proclamation there, my thinking, how much is used so that we can affirm, we can build this house out of cedar, out of righteousness. So David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. David's relationship with Hiram, who built David a house of cedar wood, representing the image of the garment of righteousness, is intended to symbolize our relationship with the Holy Spirit, without, with the Holy Spirit, without whom we can never first be established in the calling of a king to control our feelings in accordance with the will of God. So without this, without this king, king of Tyr, without Hiram, without the Holy Spirit, we can never be established in our calling as a king to rule over our emotions and feelings. Proverbs 16.32, he who rules over himself is mightier than he who takes a city. And here people begin to try to control themselves by uh, trying to exercise their human will. Well, you don't need to do this. You need to, on the contrary, you need to bend your will uh, before the word of God and accept the Holy Spirit as the Lord and ruler of your life. Uh, people might f seem like they are they have they have a will that is in control but they might not we must have our will in a bent state to acknowledge the holy spirit as the lord and ruler of our life and to tremble before his word then this person will be able to control his city 
And without the Holy Spirit, we can never be affirmed in the calling of a priest, not just a king, but a priest, to make ourselves a spiritual house and a holy priesthood. First Peter chapter 2, verse 5, You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So without the Holy Spirit, this is impossible. Although Scripture says that you yourselves, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, you also... Uh, yourselves. This doesn't mean we can do this with the Holy Spirit. Ourselves means with the Holy Spirit. It means with the King of Tyr, who first, how does he define himself? He sends his messengers, apostles. He sends them to David, to our spirit, and with them go forth the cedar trees, the teaching of the righteousness of God, the teaching of the truth of God. And then the carpenters and masons, in our essence, begin to work, begin to work, and they begin to be transformed into that same image. Why? This is very important for us to understand these truths. If we did not understand them, then Scripture says that we are going to be likened to a person who looked and he stepped away from the mirror of the Word of God and forgot who he was. The scripture says that this is what happens with those people who do not look into the Word of God. He looked, he sat in church, then he left and he forgot who he was. But we must continually dwell. Scripture says that we must look into this law, this perfect law, and we must dwell in it so that we are not like those who have listened and have had forgotten those who had listened and had forgotten. Again, those who had listened and had forgotten. Listened, but had forgotten. Who look in the mirror, who walk away from it, and they completely forget who they are in Christ, what God has done for them, what they need to do on their end in order to cooperate with God to receive all that they have in Christ Jesus. Why? Because Apostle says, please do not leave your assembly you were going to forget the truth and you need to continually have the word of God before you. The king of uh, Tyr, he looks through, works through his cedar trees, through his masons, carpenters, all are in complete work here. We completely look into ourselves, look at ourselves. But when a person misses church, then my friends, you can miss church and then come and say to a person, tell me, am I spiritual or carnal? I usually say, I don't want to ruin your mood. Can I please just remain silent? Well, you look in the mirror, you walked away and forgot who you were. Who will say, I remember who I am? Well, physically we remember our face, but in the spirit, this is not so. In spirit, you miss first service, second service. Sometimes saints say, I went on vacation for two or three weeks. I came back and you know what? When we didn't have translation yet or uh, the live stream, when you come and say, I need to... When we were, when we did not yet have a live stream, we didn't have these websites, all of these things. There was no access to listen to the video, to dwell in the service with the saints, to listen to the sermon. Two or three weeks pass, and he says, "I'm I've fallen behind. Two or three weeks, I've fallen behind." Of course, devil says, "Okay, good. I'm going to destroy them uh, in a different way." You don't need to miss two or three weeks. You can just miss a few searches. You can just go just on Sundays or on Sundays and Fridays. You can ignore the rest. Scripture says a person, he will be forgetful. He will hear, but he will forget. He will look at the mirror, walk away, and forget who he is. And third, without the Holy Spirit, we can never be established in the calling of a prophet so that God can listen to our voice while we might hear the voice of God in our hearts to do his will in order to fulfill his judgment.
Habakkuk verses, chapter 2, verse 1, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. So without the Holy Spirit, it is impossible to have the calling of king, calling of a priest, and the calling of a prophet. This is the fullness that we saints today are called to have in Christ Jesus. Thank you for your attention. Be blessed in your prayers. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. We thank you, Lord, that you have allowed us today in the name of the covenant of blood to stand before your holy countenance. We thank you, Lord, for your Son, Jesus Christ, for his blood that was shed. We thank you, Lord, that you have demonstrated your love and your love of God was poured out to us by the Holy Spirit who revealed to us your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that your Son, Jesus Christ, is the only name and is the only way through whom we will be able to be saved. And we accept this salvation in your Son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whom you revealed your goodness and in whom you revealed and through whom you poured out by the power of the Holy Spirit the love of God. We thank you that you have saved yours from their sins. You have saved your church and have sanctified her, having washed her in the waters of the preached word. You have allowed us, Lord, to be in this number of God's chosen remnants. You have allowed us to be in this small number of those of whom you said, strive to enter through the narrow gates. And we enter these narrow gates and we enter lord when we acknowledge the status of a virtuous wife in the face of the church of jesus christ because it is impossible to enter into the church of god and to become an organized partaker of the church of christ without cooperating with the narrow gates because when we entered and when we became an organized partaker of the body of the chosen remnant of god we lead everything at these narrow gates, our own understanding, our own ambitions. And we died, Lord, to our nation, the house of our Father, and our corrupt desires. All of this remained there. We entered, and we thank you. We thank you that we were able to find and gain this chosen remnant that you have allowed us to become a part of it. We thank you that your salvation is spread out on us. And we, Lord, will keep this salvation. We will affirm it. We thank you that you allow us today to grow in salvation through the demonstration of love toward your preached word. And we today tremble and we revere before your word. 
and we have loved this pure milk of the word. We have loved this firm food that we eat, the solid food. We have loved this manna that you sent you sent us. And we do not act with neglect toward it, but we accept it and with great gratitude we eat. And that truth that is not yet known to us, and we can't make it a proc- our proclamation yet, it continues to lay on the golden table of showbreads until we come into back to your Sabbath, into your temple, and in this temple you reveal to us your truth, and you will allow us to eat of your bread in the temple of God. I thank you that you provide riddles in the temple of God and you answer these riddles. I thank you that you have magnified and exalted your word in the the temple of your people. I thank you, Lord, for this great privilege to be in Jesus Christ, having called, called and acknowledged in him your righteousness. We ask you to continue to be to allow us to be filled with the whole fullness of God. And for this, Lord, we want for the Holy Spirit to inhabit our hearts and to become the Lord and ruler of our lives. We ask you, Lord, for that glory of God that is found in your word that today is preached to us and is spoken to us, for us to be transformed into this glory of God. And to do this and to be transformed and to be covered in these proclamations, allow us today to to illuminate this teaching, this glory in our spirit, our heart, our thinking, and allow us to renew our thinking with this truth so that we so that we can look upon your word of God and see that glory that is found in it that will clothe your inheritance and your inheritance and each individual person will become a partaker of this glory. You allowed us to transfer from glory to glory as from God's Spirit and without the Holy Spirit this is impossible for us to do. We thank you for your divine fullness for your divine width which in our in which in our hearts it is uh, our hearts do not hold any bitterness resentment we thank you for uh, for the patience for the height upon which you have allowed us to go up on according to your mercy and allow us to have the opportunity to stoop down to the levels of saints and allow them to to or rather to help them reach those heights that were at one point seemed unreachable to us. We thank you for your divine depth, that our hearts today with the holy saints of God who suffer, who have a certain lack, who endure, we have a partaking to your inheritance. And we ask you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the joy of your salvation could f- could fulfill, could fulfill not their just their spirit, but their thinking and their and their bodies. We ask you, Lord, for your righteousness, for your unblemished joy, and for your peace to fill the each cell of the body and for them to be transformed into your glory. We thank you that when we look upon this mirror, we do not see ourselves, but we, Lord, see you.
And you allow us to leave all of that which does not coincide with the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for that place that we are found in. We thank you for that, pla and that place in which you forgive us our sins and that place upon which you justify us, upon that place which you preach to us and say from your lips about the righteousness of God. And we, Lord, are ready to cooperate with you as David had cooperated with the king of uh, Hiram, the king of Tyr. Therefore, we accept the Holy Spirit and affirm his position in our essence as Lord and ruler, acknowledging his carpenters whom he sends before himself, before he brings us to perfection and fullness. And we ask you, Lord, that along with your uh, messengers, you can send your cedar trees so that you can send to us those truths into which you want us transformed in so that we can stand before your glory. We thank you for that revelation that we have, that we had the right to read today and that we had and were able to proclaim today. We ask you to continue to fill your messenger, Brother Arkady, with that revelation in which you want your church to be clothed in, so that the righteousness that we have received in Christ Jesus could be not just pure, but could also be bright, so that we can be holy not just by the fact of our birth, but our actions, our thoughts, our words, our, our the way in which we dress, that your holiness can penetrate all spheres of our essence. And for this, Lord, allow us to look upon your glory. Allow us to look upon this mirror that is found in our thinking, in our heart, in the Word of God. Allow us to see and be concentrated at your Word. Allow us, Lord, to build our relationship with you in a way in which we can be transformed into your image and so that our eyes don't look at something else. We hold you and we look upon you. We look upon that rock from which you were hewn and that pit from which we were dug. And we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, and that we have received in his death and in his resurrection. We thank you for the justification that we received as a gift of grace through righteousness, which we have also received as a gift of grace, which must become the fruit of our life so that you, when you come, could receive your own, but with, in, but with income. We ask that when you come into our life at harvest, that you could receive what is yours, but with extra. You gave us righteousness as a gift, but you want this righteousness to become fruit. We want you to receive your own. We thank you for that word that we had today, for this wonderful fellowship, for the atmosphere, brotherly love among saints. We thank you that among us there is no hypocrisy, there is no deceitfulness, resentment, a misunderstanding. We thank you for this divine atmosphere, brotherly love. 
and for this unblemished joy that is filled in our hearts. Our Almighty Father, Holy Spirit, Son, Amen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And we will conclude with our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.